Well, okay, good. So we're doing a series, we're in the middle of a series, uh, well, we're finishing the series today, we really are finishing the series today on uh, our church culture, and today's subject is forgiveness, a culture of forgiveness. It's a lovely word, forgiveness, isn't it, when we receive it. When God asks us to give it, sometimes it's not quite such a lovely word, because it's hard. I know it's hard. Forgiveness can be very hard for us to actually achieve when it's us who needs to do the forgiving. But what a great church it would be if we were a church full of forgiving people. Don't you think? I'm not saying we're not at the moment, but we could probably improve, don't you think? (sighs) Our culture, our church culture needs to be biblical and it needs to be a New Testament church culture and the subject of forgiveness is huge it's huge see it's not just being kind it's not just accepting people Gary preached on acceptance a couple of weeks ago uh, and if you haven't listened to that listen to it on, on, on the website Please get hold of that. But forgiveness transforms not just the forgiven, but the forgiver. In fact, the benefits to the forgiver are greater usually than the benefits to to the forgiven. A church like this will be peaceful and united and loving There are huge benefits. Let me read some other scriptures before we look at Ephesians 4. Colossians 3 verse 13 says, Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. You know? You don't give up on people. You don't say, Oh my word, they've done it again. Oh dear, I just can't. Oh, I can't deal with this. That's not a godly New Testament attitude. We bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Then Paul says, going on as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Not might forgive, not think about forgiving, not sort of think, well, when they fully repented, when I can see a real change, then I'll forgive. All these common attitudes are not godly. We must forgive. Titus chapter 3, verse 2. Speak evil of no one. Whoa. Wouldn't you love to apply that to British culture? Speak evil of no one. Wouldn't it change? Imagine what our culture would be like, our secular culture, if everyone adopted that and really followed it. Speak evil of no one. Imagine what it would be like. Several newspapers would have to close down. Some television programmes would not be as much fun as they are at the moment because they don't slag people off everywhere. 
How opposite is this culture to our secular culture? It's very different, isn't it? It's God's sense of humour to have rain when we've packed up the PA. Speak evil of no one, Titus 3 verse 2, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. I, you know, it really struck me that phrase when I was preparing. Perfect courtesy to all people. Let's all, in this respect, be terrifically British. Perfect courtesy to all people. Well, let's read this uh, in Ephesians chapter 4 then and we'll get into the meat. That was really just introduction. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm just looking at two verses. Now, I know we're going through Ephesians. And we've only got to Ephesians 2, verse 6 and 7 at the moment. And next time I'll be... a uh, Oh, no, beyond there. Next time I preach on Ephesians officially, it'll be verse two, chapter 2, verse 10. So I thought it was all right to jump ahead to chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, because, you know, we'll all be dead by the time we get to there. So <laughs> might as well do it now. Okay. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Lord, will you be with us as we look at this, uh, these verses? Lord, grant us your spirit to open these things up to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the background to this, of course, is that in this chapter, in this second half of chapter 4, what Paul is doing here is saying to the Christians in Ephesus, look, there was an old life and there's a new life. Now you are a Christian, you have the power to change. You have the power to be different. You've been given a new heart, you've been given a new motivation, you've been given a new bent in your life. Your old bent was towards sin, your new bent is towards holiness. You actually, deep down inside, you want to follow God, you want to be godly. These are the truths of deep down inside. Now, work it out through your head. I don't know where your heart is, you know, your spiritual heart. You know, your physical heart is about there, isn't it? I'm behind somewhere. Um, in, the, in, in, uh, in, in olden days, in Roman days, in the time, the days the Bible was written, the heart was thought to be in the bowels, okay? Down here, in your guts. That was your heart, your spiritual heart. What we do know is that it's different to your head because you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's not your brain. There is a spiritual life in people that scientists can't pin down. And it's separate to the brain. It might be involved in the brain physically, I don't know. But <clears throat> what Paul says here 
is that we must be changed. And that the Christian life is, of course, as we know, a process of change, that we get changed from one degree of glory to another. We are changed. But we take part in that change. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be different. Because you have the power to be different. This is the exciting thing. That actually, to put off the old and put on the new is an injunction that can be achieved. Because now you have the power of the Spirit in order to do it. The Spirit of God is with you to encourage you, to empower you, to change the way you think and the way you behave. Because thinking leads to behaving, yeah? And that is what Paul's talking about here in this second half of chapter 4. And verses 31 and 32 sort of sum up two cultures, don't they? The old culture and the new culture. The old culture that we used to live in before we were saved. And the new culture that is ours to grasp hold of, now we are saved. Now the old culture that we used to live in before we were saved was like the culture that was all around us. It was like our secular culture all around us. It was full of these things. It was full of (coughs) bitterness and wrath and anger. (coughs) And even now as we are thinking about events in the Middle East, Commentators are saying, if we do this, we'll create bitterness. If we intervene here, people will get angry. There are vendettas. There are things going on there in tribal politics that that we know nothing about in the West. There are vendettas going on all the time. This is a problem in Afghanistan. How could we get a, a peaceful solution in Afghanistan unless we understood the vendettas that were going on between tribal groups? Bitterness and anger. You can <clears throat> look at people today, all around, and um, thanks, Tom. Great. You can look at people today in our society, and you can see bitterness and anger. You can see unforgiveness. You can watch it in action. All you have to do is to sit in a local supermarket for a little while, and you will see it in action. Bitterness, anger with other people. And people don't know how to let go of grudges and grievances. They get hold of them and drive them. Have you seen that? Bitternesses. Bitterness is unforgiveness multiplied. At the root of bitterness is always a sense of injustice or grievance that has not been dealt with. In fact, most people feed it. They feed it all the time. This is what a vendetta is. It's a fed grievance. This is what revenge is all about. It's getting your own back. This is, uh, this is what our culture is steeped in. You only have to overhear a few phone conversations wandering around the town centre and you will hear it. Anger, bitterness and rage. And we all, to some extent, were like this. It's not that we're overly critical of people who are like that because we too were like that. 
And not only that, you can still hold on to things today. This is why Paul is saying, sort your mind out. Get rid of these things. You have the power within you to deal with these issues. And it's a tough call sometimes for us. You know, I've been through some situations as a leader of, leader of a church. I've been through some situations where people have been incredibly, incredibly nasty. And I know it's hard to forgive. But we're called to. And if we don't, it'll affect our lives. Even in the secular world, well, they, they know that bitterness creates illness. That physical illness can follow from bitterness. Arthritis in particular, other issues uh, in physical health can be, can be caused by unforgiveness and bitterness and anger. And so it's a, it's a major issue. And what Paul is saying here is, Christians, rejoice! Because despite of all this stuff, <laughs> it can be dealt with. Rejoice, you have the power to deal with it. Before you were saved, you were just caught up in this stuff. You, you, you just thought this was normal, this is how you, everyone around you was reacting like it, why not you as well? You know, you, you yeah, whoa, people at work would say to you, yeah, you tell the boss, you know, you tell him. And Paul's saying, be different. Be different, because you can be. You can forgive. This is why today, when we talk about cultural forgiveness, I'm focusing more on us as forgivers than on issues you might need to forgive or people you might need to forgive. Because actually the big issue is with us, the forgiver. Will we forgive or not? So, verse 31, if you like, is his... I'm, I'm doing four points today, in case you're interested. Put off, put on, when, and being real. So, the first one is put off. Verse 31, it's put off. Don't nurse a grievance. Don't let a grievance grow its roots in you. This can happen all the time to people. They can let grievances grow roots. If a grievance grows a root, it becomes bitterness and more and more difficult to deal with. So don't let it grow roots, he's saying. Don't let your sense of injustice or need to assert your rights overpower you. Because that's what happens in the old self. That was the old self. That was the old life. That was how you previously lived. You let your sense of injustice overpower everything else. And he says, don't allow your outrage at false speaking or gossip to overwhelm you. You know, people say things. People gossip. You pick something up. You feel rotten. Oh, people saying that about me. And the temptation 
is to get, let your anger at that overwhelm you and overwhelm your thinking. You must, says Paul, put this off. If you want to live a healthy Christian life, these must be dealt with. If you want to know what it is to have good fellowship with the Lord, you must deal with these things because the Holy Spirit will nag away at you until you do. It's not that God leaves you. It's not that God condemns you, but he will nag away at you until you forgive. Because, as we saw in Colossians, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Don't plot revenge or slander back. And what about this one? Don't rejoice at someone else's humiliation. Oh, this can be such a difficult one, can't it? This is a... When people, you know, you think, oh, good, he deserved that. You know, you can think that, can't you? Oh, good, she deserved that. I was really upset because this isn't this. Now she's got her comeuppance. That's the good old-fashioned word, isn't it? Comeuppance. Does anyone use comeuppance anymore? No, only me. Right. Don't rejoice at someone else's hurt or humiliation because you viewed them as an enemy because you had not forgiven. Our biggest problem, unforgiveness. Now you may be sitting there thinking, whoa, I wish I hadn't come this morning. I wish I'd gone on holiday like everyone else. And now here I am in this meeting, and the Holy Spirit is getting at me. Whoa. Well, do not panic, because there is a response you can give. And you can give it today. And you can give it right now, in this meeting. It's the response of your will. You see, forgiveness is not something you do when everything's all right. Forgiveness is something you do when things are still wrong. You know, you hear people say, that person has not repented. Until they repent, I won't forgive. While we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. Yes, we need to repent to be born again. But Jesus took the initiative and died for us before we made that point. And so you can today actually forgive someone that you haven't forgiven for something that might have happened yesterday, last week, last month, or 20 years ago. Or 30 years ago. And the Holy Spirit will put his finger on that. I don't have to do that. I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. Because the Holy Spirit will raise these issues in your mind and say, look, do you remember? You're still holding on to that, aren't you? Let it go. 
forgive. Because, verse 32, we can become like this. It's possible with the power. Okay? This is double P I like, this one. Possible with the power. We ought to have a song with that chorus in it. It's possible with the power. Yeah? I'll leave that in Paul's hands. He can (laughs) do that one. It's possible with the power. Let the power come. It's possible with the power. Yeah. It's starting to, it's starting to catch on already. Look. Do you see? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the theology of it. It's possible with the power. We should, probably should have the Holy Spirit in there somewhere. It's possible with the Holy Spirit power. It doesn't really scan, does it? Anyway, it's possible with the power. See, uh, this week I haven't got something to show you. I haven't got... Because last time I brought something to show you as an illustration, you all laughed at me, so I'm not doing that again. I haven't forgiven you for that. (laughs) Okay, so Paul says, look, don't live like that. Live like this. Become like this. Be kind. Isn't that a nice word? Be kind. Be kind. You know, um, <coughs> Hannah's brought little Elna today. Is she in there or is she out? She's out there. And there's this little baby. And all you want to do is be kind to her. Isn't that right? That's all you want to do. You just want to be kind. Every time you see her, you want to be kind. Oh, is she hungry? Oh, is she tired? Sleep. Oh, let's be kind to the baby. But what Paul's talking about here is a reality. We can be kind to one another. You can be kind in a few minutes' time. You can say to someone near you, Would you like a biscuit? <laughs> it's, that's a little kindness. Hopefully they'll say yes rather than no. We can be kind to one another because we have the power to do so. We can be kind to people of all shapes and sizes in this church. Isn't that good? All shapes and sizes and backgrounds. You can be kind to someone who enjoys country music. You can be kind to someone whose choice of clothes you think is outrageous. You can be kind to someone who has such different taste in wallpaper that you hardly dare walk in their home without shutting your eyes first. You can be kind to people. It's a lovely word, isn't it? Be kind. Don't dwell on a grievance. Forgive and be kind. And then there's another lovely word. You can be like this too. Be tender-hearted. Be tender-hearted. One commentator is trying to express the, uh, the way this would have come across to 
the people Paul was writing to at his time when, you know, we said about the, the heart in the bowel. So this is what he says. He says, having strong bowels of compassion. <laughs> Have you got strong bowels of compassion? This is the question today. How strong are your bowels? And are they full of compassion? Compassionate bowels, that's what we need. <laughs> Be tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. What a lovely phrase. Not hard-hearted. Tender-hearted. Is it Shakespeare? If you touch me, if you cut me, do I not bleed? Is that Shakespeare? Yeah, I thought it was. Let's be soft people. Let's be soft with each other and with everyone around us. Be tender-hearted. Having sympathy and empathy. This is what I'm thinking of. It Strong bowels of compassion doesn't do much for me, but empathy, yes. Understanding, sympathy and warmth. You know, some of us blokes are not very good at this. Emotion stuff. And, uh, yeah, at the same time, God has built us with a capability that we need to grasp hold of. A capability of being tender-hearted. All of us. And then he says, be forgiving which is the subject, you might think. But I think it all, it all is of one package. That's why we're going through it all. Be forgiving. Put it away. Put it behind you. Reset your relationships to default position. Reset to zero, you know. Do not build up a count of abuse or account of hurts, or account of gossip statements, or account, do not build up this count with someone. Knock it on the head, straight away, reset to zero, forgive. That's what he's saying. Believe the best, the scripture says in other places. Believing the best of one another. Believing the best can be so difficult, because we tend to label people. Oh, she's a gossip. You know what, when you say that, what you've done is you have written on a post-it note, gossip, and stuck it on their back. Like that game where you have to work out, you know that game where you have to work out what the name of the person written on your back? It's like that, really. That person's not aware of it. That person's not aware of it at all. But you've stuck it there. That's not forgiving. That's starting to build a grievance and a bitterness. No, much rather go to the person, as we read right at the beginning, go to the person and say, I hear you say that you said this, is it true? Reset to zero. Reset to zero. 
being forbearing with one another. Be forbearing with one another. Do you ever make the same mistake more than once? Hmm? Do you ever make the same mistake more than once? Let me tell you that I have more than once thrown a glass of wine as I've climbed the stairs. And I've tripped over a stair and a glass of wine has gone flying. You might wonder what I'm doing walking up the stairs with a glass of wine. You'd be right to wonder that because... Yes, I'm taking it up to Jackie. Thank you, Jane. But anyway, a close inspection of our hall, which hasn't yet been redecorated, will show you some fading, thankfully, marks. Have you ever made the same mistake more than once? Yeah. So let's forgive each other, eh? Let's forgive each other. As God in Christ forgave you. You know, this is just the most wonderful bit. As God in Christ forgave you. I said to Paul, could we sing as far as the east is from the west? Which I think we'll do at the end. Is that right? What? (laughs) Anyway... This song is just a magnificent song, isn't it? The, the scriptural, but it says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. I used to think, well, that's not far. It's not far at all. If you stand on Greenwich thingy in Greenwich Park, you can stand on the line. And you can have one foot in the west and one foot in the east. It's great fun. Every visitor to London should do it. When we used to bring Russians over, that's one of the things they wanted to do. They wanted to go to Greenwich Park, please. Let's go to Greenwich Park. We want to have a foot in the west and a foot in the east. And that that was exciting. And it was even more exciting when they discovered that on the wall there as well, there is the official measurements. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. And even more exciting still when I stuck my foot in the foot measurements, and it was exactly a foot. And they all went, whoa, David's foot is a foot. (laughs) We had some Americans over from Virginia, and a whole team of Americans came from a church in Virginia, and um, we took them as well. And, of course, most of them didn't even know that there was a zero, let alone that it went through Greenwich. It's all a bit of a mystery to them. But when they understood it, yes, great, let's put our foot in the west and our foot in the east. And is this really where time is all taken from? Yes, it's from this point here that you're standing on now that the clocks are taken from this moment, from this time, place, thingy. What's it? As far as the east is from the west, it's not that you can... Just move slightly. It says that go eastwards and keep going eastwards. 
and keep going eastwards and keep going westwards and keep going westwards and keep going. When does it ever stop? When does it ever stop? And the glory of the gospel is that there is never an end to the forgiveness of God for you. It doesn't end. God doesn't say, oh, that's enough. God doesn't say, well, reach the limits, can't take them anymore. God doesn't say any of that. God is not a man. Hallelujah. Although he's a man in Jesus. <laughs> Let's just correct that one. God doesn't cease to show mercy to you. Why should you cease showing mercy to others? There was a parable about it. I was going to read the parable, but I thought I'd just mention it because you probably know it. The parable Jesus told about the ungrateful servant who was forgiven much. And then he was owed something. And when he was let out of prison, set free by his, by his uh, ruler, by his master, set free unconditionally, given his release, the first thing he did was go and thrash this other boy about to, to get his debt back. And God says, is that, you know, God, God says, is that right? Jesus said to the to them, is that, whoa, no, they said, whoa, no, that's not right. And Jesus said, so neither should we. You've been forgiven much. Forgive. How much have you been forgiven? How much? I love that bit in God Almighty, is it God Almighty? John, uh, Carey, Bruce, uh, Jim Carrey's film. Bruce Almighty, that's the one. Not God Almighty. <laughs> I've got Jane Gigley again. This is going to be a regular event now. Um, yes, Bruce Almighty. Do you know that? that love, I just love that film. It's hilarious. And I love that bit where he goes to the filing cabinet to see what God knows about his life. <laughs> Do you remember that bit? And he pulls the handle and that's it. Whoa! And he goes right smacks up against the back wall. You know, and there's this huge long filing cabinet full of stuff. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, forgiving all our transgressions. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. Wow. What a wonderful God. And we sing about it on Sundays and we, we think about it in the week and we, we, we sing about it in our hearts and during the day, you know, God has forgiven me. Hallelujah. Wow, wonderful. Now we need to apply it. Now we need to grasp the power he's given us to forgive others. Hebrews 8 verse 12 says this, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. You know, God says this, I will remember their sins no more. You know, it's a poetic way of saying, he forgets. He takes our sins so far from us, so far does it go, so beyond where we currently stand, that it's as if it's forgotten. Well, it is forgotten. That is the truth. God forgets. 
you know, when you say, sorry, I've done that again, he says, since when was the again? A relevant statement. You know, sometimes we need to help people in pastoral care to forgive themselves. Did you know that? That's another issue in forgiveness. I haven't really got time to go into today, but sometimes we need to forgive ourselves for what God has already forgiven us for. Do not carry guilt with you when your guilt has been taken away. I'll just leave that there at the moment because that's something just for some to consider probably. How often then? How often? I'm on my third point now. We've had what we must put aside. We've had what we must put on. Now, how often? Well, of course, in Matthew 18, Jesus says this uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous uh, word with, with Peter, I think it is. Let's just check that out. Matthew 18. Oh, straight to it. Matthew 18, verse 21. Yes, it's Peter. And Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? <coughs> Peter's a great guy, isn't he? I just love Peter. He says what other people think. You know, when there's a situation where lots of people are thinking something and not daring to ask the question, Peter's the guy who will ask the question. Huh. And so he asked the question, probably everyone was thinking, whoa, how often must I forgive? How often am I going to go through this horrendous process of actually <gasps> humbling myself to the point of forgiving? Whoa! What will life be like if I have to forgive people? And Peter says, how often, Lord? As many as seven times? Was he thinking about his kids at this moment. <laughs> How often, Lord? As many as seven? Now, interestingly, of course, seven in the Bible is the perfect number, you know, so seven could be poetically, prophetically interpreted as a large number of times. And Jesus said, I don't say to you seven times. And you can almost imagine it, can't you? The breaths of sighings of relief, you know. I don't say to you seven times. Oh, good. <laughs> but I say to you 70 times seven. What? 70 times seven? Oh, this is a hard saying. You know, I used to say that about Jesus saying something. This is a hard saying. This is something that is hard to digest into a bowels of our compassion. <laughs> hard to digest. Hard to comprehend. 70 times 7. What is 70 times 7? 100 and what? 480. 90. Even oh, 490. Supposing, 
supposing, as Hannah's here, I can talk about Hannah. Supposing I had, from the moment Hannah was born, kept an account of the number of times I had to forgive her. Supposing I had a little notebook, Hannah's forgiving. And I went through it, you know, and I numbered them. And when I got to 490, I said to Hannah, because it would have reached 490. (laughs) I said to Hannah, enough, enough already. That's it, finished, no more forgiving. Crazy, eh? Absolutely crazy. Because, of course, what Jesus meant was, just as, just as Peter had been saying seven as a sort of, you know, often, quite a lot, you know, a, a large number, Jesus came back to him and said, such a large number, you can't imagine it. Such a huge number, don't even begin to think about counting it. That's what he was saying. Praise God. Jesus did not apply to me seven or 490. Yeah? Praise God that's not true of me. But Jesus put it in the prayer. He taught them to pray. Didn't he? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Forgive us our trespasses as we... What? Forgive those who trespass against us. Fifthly, and finally, be real. Be real. See, what forgiveness does is this. Forgiveness acknowledges that a wrong has happened. Okay? Forgiveness acknowledges that a wrong has happened. Forgiveness does not put it under the carpet. Forgiveness doesn't say, I'll ignore for now. But I'll remember. No, forgiveness is healthy because by definition it says, yes, you have wronged me. You know, sometimes uh, in church life we've come across people who say, you must accept me as I am. See, Gary preached last couple of weeks ago on acceptance and so this feeds into this thinking oh yes you must accept me as I am otherwise you're not a good Christian if you criticize something about me then you are not a good Christian because you've not accepted me as I am Jesus accepts me as I am and then we all start singing the Billy Graham song don't we just as just as I am without one plea Yes, that's how you were born again. That's the moment of being born again. That's not how you live the Christian life. Because accepting people is not the same as an excuse for inaction. 
as an excuse to do nothing, as an excuse not to be discipled, as an excuse to live your life as you previously lived it. So there is a place to raise the issue. If you've been wrong, go to the brother and say, let us be reconciled. Let us not let this build into anything further. Let this be the end of it today. So reset to zero today. Your place is grace and mercy, kindness and forgiveness, and let the Holy Spirit bring conviction and change. And let those who have the pastoral care of people help us all in that. So in conclusion then, let's have a church that is full of compassion in our bowels. Let's be a church of kindness and forbearance. Not a church that hides things under the carpet or ignores things and hopes they'll go away. But a church that puts these issues to bed as soon as they arise and resets to zero with kindness and love and mercy and an acknowledgement that we're all the same. We all make mistakes. Not all of us throw wine up the staircase. (laughs) But we all make mistakes. We all let moments of the old self crash through the defences that the Holy Spirit is building up in our lives. But let the new increasingly win over the old. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.